We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Kelly Thompson, the week one leader in the 2019 FFPC main event, a contest that will award more than $3.1 million in prizes, including an industry record $500,000 grand prize. In this episode, we break down some of his picks in his main event leading draft, where Tyreek Hill's targets will go, draft strategy when it comes to positional breakdown, and so much more. You can follow Thompson on Twitter at FantasyFBallNut. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, here is the 2019 FFPC main event week one leader, Kelly Thompson. Kicking off the 2019 NFL playing portion of the season this week on the Rotoviz. 
High Stakes Lowdown is the 2019 FFPC main event leader after week one in the in the chase for $500,000. It is the Mayberry Smackdown himself, Mr. Kelly Thompson. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me, buddy. Uh, I know it's only week one, but you got to be jacked up seeing your team at the top of the leaderboard for 500k, man. Oh, gosh. Um, I made a mistake of sharing that with my wife. I was like, <laughs> honey, if the season ended today, we'd have about a half million dollars. And uh, I shouldn't have said that because I think she's starting to spend some of it. And I you know, tried to tell her, hey, we, we got about 15 more weeks to go and about 2,300 other teams coming after me. So probably not going to happen, but it sure is nice to start out that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to get into the fantasy portion, especially your draft here. But when you're not uh, playing fantasy football and, and, and leading a $500,000 contest, tell the listeners what you're doing for a living. <laughs> I am an insurance agent. I've uh, got my own insurance office, an insurance broker. Uh, I own a part-time real estate company on the side. We, we're buying and flipping houses. Uh, I am a middle school baseball coach, um, and I do a lot of fantasy football. I have about 130 teams right now, so I spend a lot of time here in the basement in the football office, so to speak. That is uh, a full life, I would say. So hopefully you're going to have time to place waivers <laughs> and, and submit lineups throughout the season since with so much at stake, I know you'll make time for it. Uh, let's. Um, you better believe it. Yes, absolutely. So congrats on being the leader in the main event thus far. When you when you drafted this team, when you put it together and you looked at it after completion of, of the draft, how good do you think the upside was in, in, in regards to could this team really beat out 2,300-plus other teams and win a half-million-dollar grand prize? Well, you like to feel good about your team after you draft. Um, I'd be lying if I sat there and said, yeah, I know this team's going to win it. I mean, there's a obviously you're going up against some of the best players in the world. Uh, but what I did felt like I did a decent job of is I I, I, I retched for the ceiling value, so to, so to speak, on my picks. Uh, I'm not When I'm competing in the FFPC, I'm not looking at my uh, floor. I'm looking at the ceiling. I'm looking at – I'm playing the what-if game. What if this happens? What's their ceiling look like? That type of thing. So – was I happy? I was happy, but to sit there and think that they can p- compete and win it all, I, I never think that because, like I said, there's so many other good owners and players out there that you just, you know, my goal is just try to make it to the championship in the in my 12-man league, and then after that, we'll see what happens. And I think so. So that gets into a drafting philosophy aspect too, Kelly. Is is when you're when you're selecting these players, you're not necessarily. I mean, you you know, reach for the ceiling is a good way of saying it, but you don't want to necessarily do that with a large number of picks because if you reach for the ceiling too much, you'll probably end up falling. And and I think so. So it, there has to be a good mixture of going for upside, but also understanding that the easiest way in the championship round is winning my league and putting up points. Yes, I mean, as you say, there is some balance involved in it, but. Uh... You know, there's players that I think we'll touch on here in a little bit that, to me, had both high floors and high ceilings. Um, but, you know, my goal and my approach to it is, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm my first and foremost, I'm trying to get to the championship of the 12-man league and just win that. And anything after that's a bonus. So there is some players that I'm not necessarily looking at, you know, how high is the ceiling. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, this guy's got a pretty – uh, sizable floor, and at this point in the draft, I think this is where I should go. So that that does play a, a role in it, yes, sir. Well, let's talk about some of these players. And one of the big studs for for well everybody in week one that drafted him was Sammy Watkins. He had a 46.8, and I noticed you actually tweeted out a thank you to Evan Silva 
from establish the run. Uh, he's in fifth place overall of the FFPC. I heard. And, I heard. And, and you tweeted yeah. thank you to him for opening your eyes to Watkins. I'm curious what he said or what he wrote or what the interaction was there that, that really sold you on Watkins this season. Well, uh, raise your hand if you've ever been burnt by Sammy Watkins. I think that's everyone. Yeah, there you <laughs> exactly. Go. Yep. There's players that burnt you over the years, and you just kind of, you know, put the hex on them, and just stay away. But one one tweet he sent out that kind of turned my eyes to to Sammy again was when he was healthy last year. What his floor looked like when he was healthy. You know, again, Sammy Watkins was hurt last year. Uh, imagine that, right? Right. But I mean, when he did the numbers on what the floor would look like uh, with a healthy Sammy Watkins, um, it opened my eyes to you know what? That's wide receiver two numbers. And then I got to play in the what if game. You know, what if he stays healthy the whole year? What if Tyreek Hill gets in another suspension? Or what if Tyreek Hill gets hurt? You know, what's that look like? So for a seventh-round pick, I'm thinking this guy's got the, probably the highest floor of anybody. And then playing the what if game, you know, if Tyreek gets hurt or certain things fall away, he may – he's no doubt got the highest ceiling of anybody I could find in the seventh round. So as far as Evan Silva goes, he opened my eyes to the fact that you know what, this guy's got a very solid floor if he is healthy. And coming into the season, he was supposedly as healthy as he's ever been. Saying that, he'll probably break a foot next week. But you know how it is. You can go, you can only go with what you can go with. But he opened my eyes to the fact that he's got an incredibly safe, uh, high floor, and then the ceiling is through the roof if, if things break his way. I also noticed, um, talking about receivers that you had drafted um, in this main event draft that you sit in first place, and you took Watkins at the 707, but two rounds later, you took Michael Gallup at the 907, and you actually said that that he was one of your main targets this year. And Now, I own Michael Gallup in a couple of leagues, but they're both dynasty leagues. I didn't draft him anywhere in redraft, and I think it was because, for me personally, I look at him as the third receiving option uh, behind Elliott and Cooper on a team that sure. loves to run the football with, with Elliott and that offensive line so tell us why you were on board with him was was it the fact that you could get him in the ninth round was it the fact that he's a young upcoming receiver potential second year breakout all of the above none of the above why did you like Gallup this year when you see players that have their so-called breakout year you know you, you you've heard the thing about the third year for wide receivers or second year for wide receivers and, and I'm you know I, I subscribe to that theory but to me when you see a big leap in production it's usually because of an offensive philosophy or an offensive coordinator change and there's a – I read a lot of training camp reports. I read a lot of beat writers. And you got to understand, beat writers are usually followed by fans. So beat writers are most of the time going to be incredibly positive about players anyway. You know, they don't want to talk bad about players. They're going to find reasons to build players up. But one consistent drumbeat through the entire training camp for the Dallas Cowboys from various writers was Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup. New offensive coordinator. Michael Gallup. I mean, it it – it seemed to me that he was just consistently every time I turned around, he was, you know, he threw for, a, he caught a touchdown in camp. He uh, was incredibly impressive in camp. He was a camp MVP, and the drum beat just consistently every week. Every time I picked up a Dallas training camp report, the drum kept beating louder and louder and louder. So that, along with the fact that Amari Cooper is one of those players that when you expect high things of him, he lets you down, and when you don't expect anything, you know, he, he takes off. So. You know, I'm not saying Amari Cooper's going to disappoint this year. He did some pretty incredible things last year when he went to Dallas. But it would surprise me if Amari Cooper state takes a step back from last year and Michael Gallup takes up the slack. So in the ninth round, you can afford to swing and miss. But everything I read was incredibly, incredibly positive about Michael Gallup. So in ninth round, I mean, it was just an automatic. Boom, that's, that's my pick. 
can you, I mean, it is, let's say 70 catches for 800 yards and, and a half dozen touchdowns. Does that seem reasonable for Gallup this year? Or do you, would you expect even more? I think that's reasonable. I think that's reasonable. Um, you know, I'm not going to put too much into the first game. I mean, obviously they looked incredible, uh, but that's not, that's, that's not going to be the norm. I don't think, but um, I think, the gap between him and Cooper, you know, you, you had to take Cooper in the late third, early fourth. You could get Gallup in the ninth round. So the gap's here as far as where they're drafted. But I think as far as production, it's going to be, you know, somewhere in here. And I just think that, again, Amari Cooper is one of those guys that just, you know, he was hurt before the season started, if you remember with that. And, um, you know, everything I read about Gallup was just incredible as far as what he did in camp. So I don't really – I don't necessarily have a four set for him. I just know that in the ninth round, when I look around, there's no one comparable to what Michael Gallup can bring my fantasy team. Let's talk about uh, another uh, uh, pick on your team, Kelly, here that, that went off on Sunday. It seems like everyone did on your roster to put up a t- – yeah. <laughs> what did you put up this week? Was it a 260-something? Two, 265. 265, yeah. So it's just yeah. an insane score. Um, Austin Eckler was a big part of that. Three touchdowns for him for the Chargers. I'm curious now, you took him in the fifth round, knowing that Melvin Gordon does need to report at some point this season to be able to get that accrued year to get to free agency for, for 2020. Why were you willing to take a chance on Eckler in the fifth? I mean, at the fifth round, I mean, it's it, granted, it's not your first two picks, but it's still a, a premium pick. Why were you sure, using sure. one of those high picks on, on Eckler in the fifth round, knowing that, you know, Melvin Gordon should be back at some point? One of the things that, that I thought about was when Gordon does come back and, you know, people say, well, he may not come back. He, he's going to come back. His situation is obviously different than, than Le'Veon's last year. He, Melvin Gordon is going to come back. I think that's a foregone conclusion. Um, but when he does come back, I really feel like Eckler can still be a flex play. So it's not like when, I, when, when Gordon does come back that, you know, Eckler's the kind of player that I've got to take entirely out of my lineup. I still expect him to put my flex spot when Gordon is back. Secondly, in the fifth round, um, I think we can get at least six or seven weeks of Eckler before Gordon reports. And in the FFPC, the regular season, I think, ends in season 10 or 11. So the majority of the FFPC regular season, I expect Eckler to be the guy there. So I feel like he can carry me for five or six weeks. In the meantime, when Gordon does report, I feel like I still have a flex play that can you know, help my team out along the way. When when Gordon comes back, do you expect Eckler to be around that top that top twenty? Like let's say let's say Melvin Gordon comes back week six, do you expect Austin Eckler to be a top twenty five running back from week six on, or is that asking too much? I expect him to be a low end running back two, high end running back three. I expect him in the twenty five to twenty six range. Yes, that's what I would expect. Which which definitely works as as far as a, a flex play, and especially one that not only has the ups. You know, the thing is that. And I think we kind of forget, or at least I forgot it, because uh, I didn't. I don't think I. I think I think I might have Eckler on one team this year, but um, you know, just because Melvin Gordon reports and and he comes back and and let's say even becomes the man, he's no. I mean, that doesn't lock him into the rest of the season. I mean, this is a guy who's been beat up before. I mean, he could easily go down. And Austin Eckler on on Sunday proved that uh, he could handle a really healthy workload. Uh, so I think that's important to remember that even though 
uh, Gordon is coming back, there, there's still not only flex value, Kelly, that you, that you pointed out with with uh, Eckler, but there's still you know RB1 value because if, if Gordon were to go down, Eckler will be the man there, no question. Um, we've been talking about running backs here. Let's talk about receivers. Uh, I, I Just reciting the ones that that were big on, on your team this week. DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster had a, you know, I guess a, a, you know, a weaker game as far as his standards go, but he still put up double digits. Calvin Ridley, Sammy Watkins, Michael Gallup. I feel like looking at your draft, you really put a premium on, on the wideouts. Is that typically your foundation when you're building FFPC teams, or do you not have a rubric for that? Will you just build teams, you know, some, some will be heavy running backs, some will be heavy tight ends, some will be heavy receiver. Uh, how, how do you normally formulate your rosters in this format? Um, this year was uh, – it, it was uh, – my philosophy going into this year is if I didn't have the top three or top four pick, you know, usually it's top four because you included Zeke in the big four, right, big four running backs. But with the holdout, uh, when I drafted that this team, I don't think I don't think Zeke had reported yet. But anyway, my goal this year, if I had the top three pick, I was going running back, running back. But if I had a pick in the middle of the late, which in this draft I was six or seven, I was going to go wide receivers the first two picks. If I couldn't get one of the top three or big four running backs, I was going to go receiver, receiver. And looking back, historically, the teams that I that they have done real well for me that's won some of the bigger events that I've won uh, generally are run wide receiver strong and just get lucky and get a break late in the draft on a handcuff or get a break on um, a running back that, uh, you know, was second or third string coming into the season, but because of injury gets into a starting role and you can plug him in and go. So historically speaking, my better teams have been uh, teams that I've drafted wide receiver early on. Uh, having said that, if I got a top three pick in this draft, I would have went running back, running back just because of how they fell. But uh, I'm one of those guys that I'm not one of those guys that, that feels like I've got to do this philosophy every draft. You know, I'm one of those guys. I want to see what falls to me. If I, if I need to do, Zero running back, I'll do zero running back. I'm not scared of that. If I feel like I got value at running back and need to go running back two or three in a row, I'll do it. But knowing that I had the middle to late pick, I expected me to go wide receiver early, and that's what I've done. There's ghosts haunting these woods, and they're headed straight for Roaring Camp Railroads. Is it a trick? No. It's Thomas and Percy's Halloween party. And with a bounce house, pumpkin patch, temporary tattoos and face painting, plus photos with Sir Top and Pat, it's certainly going to be a treat. So get down to Roaring Camp before all the fun disappears. Weekends October 12th through the 27th. I, I totally, totally agree uh, with, with your strategy. You know, I, the last two years, I did zero RB in, I think I did zero RB in, one draft last year and then one draft the previous year. And those were my two most successful teams. And I'm and this year yes. when I was drafting teams, I was just kind of like, well, why am I not doing this all the time? You know, if this, <laughs> if this works out for me. Right. So I did, except for when I had a, a top three pick. And in which case, then I was getting yes. McCaffrey or Barkley or Camara or, you, or what you can't pass on those guys. No, right, and, right. And, and I think like doing that sort of modified zero because then what I did after that was I pounded receivers. But I think the, the key for me and I don't think I don't think we're breaking any news here. Uh, the key for me has always been how you get the, the, when you when you when you put when you operate that strategy, how you get your second running back. You know, if you're right. able to get a guy who comes into 
um, be a, your, your second running back because of um, Le'Veon Bell holding out James Conner is huge last year. Uh, that's a perfect example exactly. of that. Or, or anybody stepping up because of injury. You know, think about how Damian Williams was at the end of last season. I mean, that was perfect for a lot of teams, um, especially in the playoffs, the, the, you know, because not, not a ton was expected of him. So I think that for me, let me lock in to three or four top receivers early. Let me see if I can lock into a top three running back. And then I always like to get sort of like an upper, not necessarily an elite tight end, but an upper echelon one. Uh, and then just yes. sort of, you know, take those running back uh, stabs late uh, and not late, uh, but like in the mid round. So I'll start in like round eight, nine, 10, 11. And, and, and I'll kind of go, uh, that's where I'll draft my first quarterback. That's where I'll draft my first running back. And I feel like over the years, you know, you talk about these receiver heavy teams that have been very successful for you, Kelly. I'm betting that that those receiver-heavy teams also had in common of you hitting on one of your sleeper running backs as well. Absolutely. I mean, you think about the uh, uh, Madison uh, there in Minnesota or Justice Hill in Baltimore or Jalen Samuels in Pittsburgh. You know, the guys in front of them get hurt. I mean, those guys were low-end low end running back one, possibly middle-level running back one numbers there. I, I mean, my point is, buy your lottery tickets in the draft. There's going to be injuries. We know this. I mean, people draft. People don't want to draft early. Like, oh, well, there's going to be injuries. Guess what? There's injuries regardless. Draft early, <laughs> late, in the middle. Injuries are part of it. And if, you, if you're if you a forward thinker, if you plan ahead, and, and you know it's not if people get hurt, it's when and who, uh, take your stab, take your lottery pick, ticket, so to speak, on these these backup running backs on these very high-powered offensive teams that you know if they're put in that role, they can produce some incredible numbers for you, and you can generally get them late. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, let, let, okay, so if this is a fantasy football podcast. I'm contractually obligated to talk Antonio Brown here with you, so I'm going to bring him up because <laughs> it, it, this I, – I cannot – I can't – I was talking – I can't remember who I was talking to in Vegas uh, uh, about this, but – um, I think it was David Fowler, actually, before one of the varsities. And I said to him, I don't remember a time when a player has has switched his value back and forth so many times. You know, obviously, we had the Kareem yeah. Hunt thing um, a couple of years ago where he was vaulting up to be the number one overall pick. Okay, well, then it, his value kind of stayed there for drafts. But over the, the course of the, of the live events at Planet Hollywood this last weekend, you had Antonio Brown looking okay, then looking really bad. Then looking pretty good again. That then looking now looking bad again with yeah. this with this lawsuit um, that that was filed against him recently. I, so I got to ask you if you have him right now, are, are you cutting him? Are you hanging on to him? And let's say he does get on the field with the Patriots along with Josh Gordon and Julian Edelman uh, and James White and all those other pass catchers they have there. Um, when he does get on the field, where will his numbers stack up against the rest of the elite receivers in the NFL? Wow, that that is a tough question. Uh, you know, I shared with you how many teams I've got. I, I have two shares of Antonio Brown and all the teams. Listen, you can't turn off crazy. Uh, the the guy needs help. I, I don't think he you know he's he needs a checkup from the neck up. No one doubts his talent. Okay, what he done in Pittsburgh is absolutely incredible. Okay, but if there's ever anybody anti New England, it, it's Antonio Brown. I mean. Uh, but having said that, if there's an organization that can turn him around, guess what? It's New England. But with these last accusations that just come out last night, I mean, I just don't know how you can uh, expect this guy to go out there and put up big numbers if he gets out there. Um, me, personally, I don't think there's any way he finishes the year with New England. I just don't. 
Um, I don't think there's any way you cut him if you have him. I mean, if you have him, you you probably play uh, you probably paid a third round pick for him unless you draft him in the middle of him getting cut and signed again. So I mean, a third or fourth round pick, especially on a twenty man roster, you don't cut that player. Uh, you just you just hold him and hope for the best. Um, having said that, I, I'm 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 very uh, bearish on Antonio Brown. I mean, I, the, the two leagues I do have him, I don't anticipate me, him helping me that much. Uh, having said that, there's no question the talent. There's no question that if he got his head right uh, with the quarterback and systems he, he's in, he could do some incredible things. But uh, if he does get to play and he gets one of those games where he only gets two targets and they decide to run Sony Michelle 25 or 30 times, how's it going to take that? Uh, it, it's just, you know, I just don't see it working out, even with the Patriots. If there's anyone that can do it, it's the Patriots. But I, I just I have no faith in it. I don't think it's going to work. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about the Chiefs here because, and I know you you kind of alluded to this earlier when you're talking about one of the the added benefits of of drafting Sammy Watkins was if uh, Tyreek Hill were to you know run into some off the field issues or on field injury um, that Watkins would be the beneficiary and and certainly that looks to be the case right now with Hill uh, expected to be out the next four to six weeks. I'm curious, a guy that was drafted late. Uh, in pretty much all all FFPC drafts, I don't know anyone that he's a free agent in. McCole um, Hardman, the the rookie out of Georgia, is he a guy if he's on your roster now, knowing that Patrick Mahomes and that elite Kansas City offense is going to put up points? Is he a guy that you're you're willing to plug in as a flex right away? Um, you know, given given the surrounding cast, should just make him better and elevate him, or is it just Watkins and Kelsey all the way for for Tyree Kill's targets? If you find a roster with Hardman on there with me, he's going to be in my lineup. Um, I know it's a little concerning because last week he did play 78% of the snaps. Uh, he only had two targets or one tar- – I'm, I'm sorry, I think he had one target. But I don't think they came into game planning or Andy Reid had time – you know, he didn't come into the game thinking, okay, we need to find a way to get Hardman the ball. You know, they it was Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins. Uh, give Andy Reid a week. Uh, you know, Sammy Watkins obviously has everyone's attention. Uh you know, Kelsey's got everyone's attention. If I have Hardman, me personally, you want a piece of the Kansas City offense. I want every piece of it I can get. Hardman's going to be in my lineup. He's he's probably got a very low floor, okay? There, there might be a week or two where you're probably, you know, knocking your head on the wall for starting. But then there's going to be some weeks in there where you're, like, patting yourself on the back thinking, yeah, I'm glad I started the uh, I'm I'm just looking this up right now as as far as uh, what what Hardman uh, put up uh, against Jacksonville. I know that um, he uh, he did indeed get one target, but I, one target. I I thought I read somewhere and maybe it was Roto World or I can't remember where I saw it or Football Guys it could have been that that um, after Hill went out, I think um, McCall Hardman played all but two of of the offensive snaps after Hill was down. So certainly he while he wasn't involved in the offense, he, I'm sure he wasn't part of the game plan, but he was on the field. So that's certainly promising for Hardman and as you look forward, as you look forward to, you know, the the Chiefs, you know, and the, I don't want to say Mahomes is matchup proof, but week in and week out, I mean, you you know that whoever the Chiefs are playing uh, it's going to be a a high total on the game because they're they're you know Kansas City has probably one of the best offenses, if not the best offense in football. They go to Oakland this week to face the Raiders, where they're seven point favorites uh, on the road, but with a total of fifty three and a half. So certainly there's going to be some fantasy goodness uh, in that uh, in that game, no question. I want to uh, ask you about another guy if he's a must start because he had a great game on Monday Night Football against the Broncos, and that's the tight end. 
for the Raiders, Darren Waller. Do you think, you know, given this is a tight end premium format, you think Darren Waller is a must start in FFPC leagues uh, based on what he did against Denver? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one thing I've learned over the years um, playing this sport is it, it's it's not important to it's not important about what I think about a player. It's important to know what the coaches think about a player. And uh, Gruden gushes over this guy, you know, causing special, I think, in some article. And I mean, uh, you know, after Williams, you tell me, uh, you know, you got Williams, you got Jacobs. After that, you tell me who scares you. Uh, secondly, David Carr's never been one to just chuck the ball down down the field. Uh, so the intermediate routes, the slants, whatever, Waller, uh, I think he's a plug-and-play plug guy until further notice, especially in FFPC with, you know, your tight end premium. Yeah, and you can, you can make the, you know, the same case I was making for Hardman. You can make it for Waller. I mean, there's going to be a lot of points. If the Raiders are seven-point dogs, they should be throwing it uh, to try to play catch-up in the second half. And I think Waller is a huge part of that, uh, no question. This is sort of Absolutely. turning into a, to an AFC West discussion, but the breaking news that came out, I want to say, and for, for the listeners, um, we're recording this here on, on Wednesday afternoon, um, but the breaking news that came out roughly two hours or so ago was Hunter Henry uh, actually was announced. He has a tibia plateau fracture in his left knee. Um, Adam Schefter has reported that it's probably going to be a four- to six-week absence. Anthony Lynn has said that they are not going to be placing him on IR to, to you know to try to hopefully get him back sooner rather than later. But you look at what, what this does for the Chargers here, Kelly. Um, is it as simple as saying, okay, uh, let's make our cursory phone call to Antonio Gates, see what he's doing, uh, and then just make sure that we're peppering Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler with as much as they possibly can handle. And Mike Williams, too. I guess we shouldn't forget about him, you know, sort of a bigger receiver that might be running similar routes to, to Hunter Henry. I know that's kind of lazy analysis. But where where do you look at Henry's targets going now that we know he's going to be missing uh, roughly the next month and a half? I don't necessarily uh... – as far as uh, his production goes, as far as Henry Hunter's production, I'm not exactly sure who the back backup tight end is there, but I do know uh, that Keenan Allen uh, is a target monster, and uh, my fingers are crossed. I hope Eckler gets some of that production. Um, but honestly, I don't know exactly where they're going to go with that uh, production. I don't know if they're going to try to run it more with Justin Jackson, maybe set up uh, the run more. I, I'm not sure exactly how to, how to paint that picture yet. Uh, that was something that kind of broke on me here lately, and uh, I haven't had time to study it, to be honest with you. So I'm, I'm, ho I'm hoping it goes to Eckler. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and I think, uh, honestly, right now, that I, to me, that's, that's the, the, the safest bet, uh, I think, is Eckler. The, the backup tight end uh, for the Chargers is blocking extraordinaire Virgil Green. So I don't know how much fantasy – uh, points yeah. you're going to get from that guy. He was at Denver play. last year, wasn't he? When he at Denver? Yeah. yeah. Yes, he was pre previously a Bronco, no question. He okay. actually, um, um, uh, when Hunter Henry went down, uh, excuse me, he was with Denver in 2017, I believe, because in 2018, Gates uh, and him sort of split the tight end duties, and he caught 19 balls for 210 yards and, and a touchdown over the course of the season. So certainly not a whole lot of uh, fantasy goodness there. I think that he um, he's probably going to be a popular ad on on the FFPC waiver wire tonight. Um, I don't I don't know if maybe the Chargers signed Gronk out of retirement. Right? Oh, there you go. See now we're talking. Now we are well, talking. I mean, that would be after he checks into New England, of course. You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure people. Uh, I think people are already starting to pick up Gronk in anticipation of what what may come there. So I never never doubt anything with the Gronk. You know, there's no telling what he'll do. Yeah, and I, and I saw him in a lot of drafts uh, over this past weekend. 
Um, not all of them, but he went in, in the 19th, 20th round of a good number of main event and, yeah. and uh, ancillary drafts that, that I saw at, at Planet Hollywood. So I think people were already on the bandwagon back then. But he's still out there in a good number of leagues as well. And he didn't – Kelly, he didn't – you know, he was talking – I think it was earlier or later last week. Somebody asked him if, if he was going to come back, and, and he, he didn't really – go he I mean, kind of went out of his way to say like uh yeah I'm, I'm definitely not fully retired you know what i mean like it, it almost right. seems like he's just waiting for to to get the phone call from brady or belichick or whoever and, and come back and run around the field and try to win another ring yeah and you know with the excitement of the t- i mean the way they look opening night my goodness you know it's just like uh all they're missing is a an elite tight end that you know can take off down the seam there and they're going to be un- unstoppable. And, you know, they just happen to have one. It's still out there that's semi-retired that they could bring back. So, yeah, I mean, listen, it's new England. They do things that other teams don't do. They do, they think outside the box. So it wouldn't shock me at all if Trump comes back. Hey, you know, and now just not to keep talking about the chargers here, but I'm just seeing that Anthony Lynn says he's concerned about Mike Williams knee uh, and how available he's going to be for week two. Um, they actually just signed uh, Anthony Johnson, a receiver. So certainly that doesn't bode well for Williams. But as far as the Chargers go for week two, you got to be loving life if you're a Keenan Allen or Austin Eckler owner because I think they well, – and, Yeah, and, and Jackson too. Don't forget about Jackson. I mean, they may lean on the run more so. Yep. And, you know, Jackson's probably their best between the tackles runner. So, then, yeah. Definitely. And and uh, and he's already shown a talent to, to do it, uh, I think, too. So that Chargers situation is one we will be watching for sure. Uh, Kelly, you've been very gracious with your time here today. Before I let you go, I just want to get one more question of you. A player that you think a lot of uh, drafters and, and FFPC players uh, are actually going to be starting in week two that you think would be better off on their benches. And then uh, conversely, another player that you think a lot of people will not start this week but probably should have them in their lineups. Um, let's talk about Hollywood Brown and Baltimore. Uh, put up some incredible numbers, but you know I think a lot of people look closer at the numbers. The guy played 14 snaps. He had five targets, and of course we know what he did with those targets. It was incredible. Uh, he missed a lot of training camp. Uh, he's a rookie, but yes, he's going to get better. Yes, he's going to get more playing time. But still, I'm not ready to just plug in Hollywood Brown into my lineup. So if he's if he's on my bench and I think, man, I'm going to put him in uh, this coming week, look what he did this past week. I know it's against Arizona, and I think even they've got two corners that I think are hurt. Uh, but still, me personally, I'm just not ready to plug in Hollywood Brown just because of what he did last week based on his snap count and based on his targets and things of that nature. Having said that, could he do it again? I'm sure he will do it again at some point. I'm just not ready to uh, jeopardize my lineup by putting him in there yet. Yeah, and he could – I mean, he's a he's the type of guy that I think a lot of people were – fine with him in best ball leagues where you know the big plays are going to come you don't know exactly when they're going to come and he missed a lot of training camp too uh so so there's there's certainly and the fact that he did this against miami i I think has a lot of people not necessarily turning their head and and reaching to start him right away in in week two but i I think you make some good points there about maybe keeping him out of your lineups what about a sleeper this week kelly do you have one for us um, well, I was going to bring up Hardman, but we've already touched on him. You know sure. how I feel about him. Another one that I'm, I'm going to touch on is Metcalf in Seattle. Um, Tyler Lockett, I was really big on Tyler Lockett, and he only got two targets last week. Uh, Metcalf is turning into a target monster because a lot of teams are starting to double-team Lockett. I don't know how Pittsburgh is going to approach it this week, uh, but I think Metcalf is he, he's going to consistently catch passes. I think Lockett is who everyone's trying to shut down. 
And uh, it just seems like this this Metcalf, this rookie wide receiver in Seattle, is somebody that I want to be in on. If I have him, I'm going to plug him in, especially at Pittsburgh, which could be a high-scoring affair. I'm going to keep riding Metcalf until he gives me a reason not to ride him. Yeah, he was definitely a guy that, you know, in the rookie draft process for my dynasty leagues, I was not very excited about him in the drafting process. I think I drafted him in one league, but what he did in week one was certainly very, very encouraging. You never really – you know, every time you think you get a handle on this thing, uh, the NFL surprises <laughs> you. And certainly That's Antonio right. Brown is is the, the poster child for that right now. Uh, I Kelly, listen, this is so much fun. Congratulations on the week one success. Uh, I certainly want to thank you for joining me this week. Good luck, uh, not just uh, with this main event team, but all your leagues this year. I wish you nothing but the best there. Thanks so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again soon, dude. Hey, thank you and good luck to you. And hope you're, I hope all your touchdowns are long and glorious ones. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage rotoviz.com slash podcast. There's ghosts haunting these woods, and they're headed straight for Roaring Camp Railroads. Is it a trick? No, it's Thomas and Percy's Halloween party. And with a bounce house, pumpkin patch, temporary tattoos and face painting, plus photos with Sir Top and Pat, it's certainly going to be a treat. So get down to Roaring Camp before all the fun disappears. Weekends October 12th through the 27th. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub salad or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.